Brother Jeff's wonderful presentation this past Sunday <clears throat> in introducing our special guest tonight. Is that all right, Brother Jeff? I didn't even ask him. Well, good. I don't have to ask his permission then. You give it to me, Sister Connie. That's probably who I should ask anyway. Thank you. But uh, we're so glad to have Brother and Sister Michael and Elizabeth Lloyd and Sophia with us tonight. We're so glad that we're going to give you a, we're going to give you three, a Calvary wow. Brother Jeff used this to uh, talk about somebody this past Sunday, so I'm going to borrow from him and say this is what you guys, this is what comes to mind when we think of you three. We love y'all. We miss you. And uh, if I didn't really know better, I would, I would say uh, the Lord's been talking to me, and it seems that you all don't know the will of God. It's the will of God for you to move back to Mount Vernon just as soon as you can. But I know better than to say that because I don't want to get in trouble with him, with the Lord. Uh, I want you to stand and... Uh, I want you to bless all three of these precious people, Brother Michael Lloyd, of course. In case you're new enough that you don't know about these wonderful folks, they were members of our church for many, many years and uh, served in various capacities uh, par excellence. You will not find anyone who loves the Lord any more than these three folks and serve God any harder with all of their might than anybody else. Uh, Brother Michael Lloyd, as uh, my assistant pastor, uh, youth pastor, and then along with his wife, uh, Sunday school pastor, um, and then uh, outreach director, and I don't know, were you chief cook and bottle washer for a while too? Okay. Sister Elizabeth Lloyd, along with her husband, serving as youth pastor and then uh, taking the reins herself to guide our children's ministry and Sunday school department to greater heights than ever before. And when the Lord called them to go to St. Louis to minister there, I understood that we don't own anybody and we can't call the shots. We're just, I'm just a corporal, I think. I might be a private first class. I haven't figured out which one of those two I am, or I may still be a buck private, so I can't tell the Lord what to do with the rest of the members of his army. Uh, but we are thrilled to have them back visiting family for the holidays, and we want Brother Michael to come. Would you give all three of them a wonderful hand as he comes to minister the word of the Lord tonight? We love y'all. I uh, appreciate this church so much. I'm so glad that there is such a sweet spirit of the Lord in this place. Uh, you know, we we move and we go other places, and, and you don't... I've heard it said many times about this church that there is a mantle of the Holy Ghost on this church. And uh, I hadn't thought about that for a long time until I felt the presence of the Lord here like I just did. 
and I just want to commend you all for for making it possible for the Lord to to move in this place the way that he does. Amen. So I'm just going to jump uh, right in. Brother Edwards, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak tonight. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. And I want to remind somebody tonight that God's timing is perfect. And I appreciate what what all of this church has poured into me over the years. And I don't think it's an accident. I called Brother Edwards. We have, we've been trying to connect for, for years. It seems like we... Uh, Every time we call him and say we're going to be in town, it's near a holiday and he's not going to be in town. And so uh, I feel like it was just the Lord that that arranged uh, this opportunity. And I'm so glad that we could be here. Uh, okay, so because we as humans, our, our foresight, our knowledge is limited. We just don't understand how things are going to unfold, but God does. His timing is perfect. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so I want to speak to you tonight about the fullness of of time. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful, Lord, to be here at Calvary, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping your hand on this church, Lord. We know that you have a plan. Lord, I believe that you're going to unfold your plan at the right time. It's going to happen in just the way that you want it to so that you receive all the glory. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this message tonight. I pray that somebody's faith would be strengthened. I pray that you you would let somebody know and see uh, that you know where they are, that you know their pain, their stress, their anxiety, their fear. Lord, I pray that you'd give them some assurances that your plan is is unfolding, Lord, and what's now a trial, Lord, will one day be a testimony. And I thank you for it, and I give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's that time of year. It's Christmas time. It's that time of year. And I have mixed feelings at Christmas. And I have mixed feelings about Christmas. Um, It should be a time when we slow down and we reflect on uh, how God became human, came to redeem us from all of our misery and our sin. It should be a time when we get together with our families and uh, bake cookies and drink hot cocoa and cuddle up under a warm blanket by the fire. But I don't know that I have ever had a Christmas like that. To me, Christmases are absolutely, completely different than that. They are busy, and they are hectic, and they are a pain. And I just want to share with you four reasons why I don't like Christmas. Reason number one, it's hectic, and it's commercialized, and we get so caught up in the Santa Claus and the presents, and did we get enough presents, and oh, we forgot to buy for Uncle Joe, and we got to go back to the store, and the stores are all full, and there's only self-checkout lanes at Walmart, and we can't, whew, um, it's just tough. And so then the only time that we mention Jesus is maybe one time at the Christmas service at church, and then we've gone on to... Uh, 
New Year's and Jesus got left in the dust. Uh, the other reason that I don't care for Christmas uh, time is Christmas music. I don't think that they have anybody has written an original Christmas song for at least two decades. And I think the ones that everybody plays over and over again, they're at least 70 years old. And they have the same five ones on repeat. And it just gives me a headache. And I'm sorry if you love those songs, but maybe somebody can write some new Christmas songs. Reason number three is that Christmas carries with it the highest levels of expectation of warm, fuzzy feelings that I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to deliver on. I, I remember this, this time in my life, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It was crisis after crisis for Christmas, and we're running around. It was the fifth social, and we had to come up with a dessert to take to this fifth social, and... Uh, Somebody got sick, vomited all over the floor, the dog had parasites, the car breaks down, and we have to change our plans. And Sophia melts down crying, saying, you said we were going to make Christmas cookies. It's just living up to the expectations of Christmas is very hard and causes me stress. And so the final reason why I don't like Christmas is because everybody tells me I should love Christmas. And if I don't love Christmas, then there's something wrong with my spirit. <laughs> so I have a hard time this time of year. And I appreciate that everybody here is indulging my inner Grinch and letting me rant. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rein it in and it's going to be okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein in the inner Grinch, and I'm going to be happy for the next four days, five days. <laughs> but see, you know, I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of people have, maybe they don't have the same kinds of experiences at Christmas, but they may have other feelings that come at Christmas. Maybe it's, maybe it's loneliness. Maybe there was a loved one that you had that just loved Christmas and just, that was Christmas. I think of my grandma Marilyn, and she's not with us anymore. And so Christmas just isn't the same without Grandma Marilyn. And so maybe there's some feelings of loneliness. Maybe there's some uh, some feelings of pain of uh, children that have moved away that you don't get to see. Maybe there's some uh, feelings of I mean, plenty of anxiety to go around. Uh, but Christmas isn't always fun and happiness and pie in the sky that we that we want to have that we want it to be. And sometimes we just feel like at Christmas the timing timing is everything at Christmas. You got to get everything where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. If you don't put the ham in on time, we're going to mess up lunch and the family's coming over. Timing is critical. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't have any problems with that because God knows the end from the beginning and nothing is a surprise to the Lord. And if I could think of a, of a story in the Bible that just personifies this time, uh, this feeling of 
anxiety and stress and uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen. I'm thinking of a child named Mary and how she got this. Okay, so let's, let's, let's look at it this way. 2,000 years ago, Mary, she's growing up in the Middle East. She's probably 12 to 14 years old. There had just been a war. Judea had just been annexed into the Roman Empire, so there's a lot of political unrest. There's a lot of political uncertainty. I'm sure there's questions about whether Herod's going to get to remain in power and whether or not the Romans are going to allow it and what's going to happen and what if they're going to have to draft people. Are we going to have to go back and fight again? I don't know if Mary had maybe lost some family members in the conflicts that had been happening at that time. Uh, but it was a scary time. Um, it's, uh, she was engaged, she was likely in an arranged marriage to this carpenter named Joseph, and in the middle of all of this, she becomes pregnant, and the baby isn't Joseph's, and she starts telling people that this experience that she had with this angel, and really the baby's God's, and everybody's like, yeah, right, and in fact, Joseph is about ready to call off the marriage, and then he makes this 180 because he had a dream, and so, so can you imagine that there's and this terrible time for all of these events to be unfolding? And on top of that, uh, in, in all this political uncertainty, they get word that there's going to be this census, there's going to be this tax, and it's not just that there's going to be a bill collector coming around and doing a count. We have to go somewhere else to pay this tax and to be counted, and they had to move, uh, they had to travel 70 to 90 miles. So this is probably going to be a four to seven day journey uh, to get there. And Mary's nine months pregnant. So I can't think of any other circumstances that could make this any worse. Except that they get to Bethlehem and there's no room in the end. And the baby's born in the stable. And they have to lay the baby in a manger. But again, none of this is a surprise to God. God was at work in all of these things. I, and I don't know what's going on in, in your life or what your situation looks like, uh, but God does have a plan. God is looking out for you just like he was looking out for Mary. He's looking out for you just like he's looking out for anyone else. So I want to tell you a story some of you may know this story, and others may not, but uh, around 2012, 2014, I was out of work. I had been working for the Red Cross. Uh, the Red Cross is a great organization, it's done a lot of good for a lot of people, uh, but the national and the regional Red Cross had made some executive decisions. They dissolved my board, and they had closed one of my offices, and then they asked me to resign because I couldn't raise a quarter of a million dollars. And one of my bosses, and this is a direct quote, I don't know what's so hard about this. All you have to do is find 25 people to give you $10,000 and you're done. So I resigned, and I was out of work, and I, you know, because I was the primary breadwinner, I was on unemployment, 
I'd applied several times at Continental Tire. I was working uh, temp jobs. I had this particular temp job at Walgreens, and they kept saying, oh, yeah, we're going to hire. We're going to probably start hiring people next week. Uh, you're doing good work, so you're going to be a shoe-in. Well, this went on for months, and they kept saying, well, maybe next week we're going to bring somebody on. Well, it didn't happen. And so all the while, I'm teaching nine Bible studies, trying to keep my family afloat. At the end of the year, my unemployment's going to run out. And uh, Brother Edwards and I were talking. I don't know if it was the Lord or if he was just feeling sorry for me. But he says, well, why don't you come be our assistant pastor? But don't tell people that you're full-time because I can't afford to pay you full-time. And so, but it was the Lord. He was directing our paths, and it was absolutely the right thing. And I'm so thankful for all that this church has done for me, especially in that very stressful time of my life. I would say that that was probably the time of my life that I was the most prayed up, that I was fasting the hardest and was closest to the Lord. And uh, so I remember distinctly, we went to this prayer meeting in Fairfield. It was a sectional prayer meeting. And I felt strongly that the Lord told me this was November 1st, 2000, uh, sorry, 2013, or somewhere around November 2013. I felt the Lord say, a year from now, your life will be unrecognizable. And so I would tell a few people that, and they're like, kind of stepping back, I don't really know what that means. Could it be something bad? And I'm like, well, it can't really get any worse, so I'm feeling that this is a good thing. <laughs> And so the uh, year goes by. Uh, well, just started back that up. I felt, I felt that in the spirit, and I said, Brother Edwards, can you please pray with me about that and tell me what you think that means? And so he comes back to me six weeks later and says, I don't know what the Lord is doing, but I can guarantee you the Lord is doing something in your life, and whatever you heard from the Lord uh, is, is going to happen. So a year goes by, and nothing had really changed. We had you know, kind of survived uh, making it. Uh, but uh, I, I, went to, I went to prayer here. I, was, I think it's probably about where you're at, Brother Wayne Hicks. I was praying that morning, and I was complaining to the Lord. And I said, God, you told me last year that a year from now, my life would be unrecognizable and everything's just the same. Four, five days later, I got a text message from somebody at headquarters saying that they wanted to hire Elizabeth as a graphic designer. And uh, so I talked to Brother Edwards about it, and he says, well, this is, has to be what the Lord was moving on you about. And I'm, obviously he was uh, sad for us to leave, but I, I could feel the Lord was moving on us and that this, was, this is what God wanted us to do. So 75 days from the day that we got that text message, Elizabeth started a new job at headquarters. And in 93 days, we were living in a two-bedroom apartment in St. Charles, Missouri. Now, remember, I'm broke. I don't have any money for moving expenses or rent or a new apartment. Yeah, but what I did have is I had some, some floor flooring in the basement of my house that my parents had extra when they uh, built their house. And there was a lot of it. And so I was frantically trying to find a buyer for this flooring, praying that somebody would buy it so that I could 
I don't have some money to start moving these, doing these moving expenses. But it was, uh, it was first weekend in February, and we were supposed to go sign the paperwork on this apartment on Monday, and I had to have $2,000 for the first month's rent and for the deposit, and I didn't have the money. But somebody called me as we are leaving town while it's snowing to go stay in a hotel, trusting that somehow or another this money's going to materialize. Somebody calls me, says, I want to buy that flooring, and I have a check for you for $4,000. You know, we <laughs> all of these things seem like it's really bad timing, but the Lord knows exactly where we are. And he knows what he's doing with our life. And if we are giving it all to him and we're praying and we're fasting, God is going to order our steps. And the Lord will be there right on time. And so we know that, that Mary, you know, it's amazing what you can endure when you have a clear word from the Lord. Uh, so we kind of looked at Mary's story from everybody else's perspective, but let's look at it from Mary's perspective. She had a very clear word from the Lord, and uh, everybody else just thought she was a, a naughty girl who'd either gone crazy or was just covering up her bad behavior with these outrageous lies. But, but to Mary, it was different. Uh, Luke 1, 26 through 23 and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent, unto, sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth his son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. To, to Mary and to her family, this couldn't have been the worst time because of all of the political unrest that I mentioned to you. But God sees everything, and he knows the end from the beginning. And you know what? This was the perfect time for the Savior to be born. God had been setting this up for thousands of years, all the way back from the first prophecy in the Garden of Eden, whenever uh, God told Eve that, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Uh, back even to the time whenever God spoke to Abraham and said that there was going to be somebody from his 
from his lineage and through his seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Even to Moses, whenever uh, there was the prophecy that there was going to be another prophet that would arise that would be greater than Moses. And I even think of of the time in Babylon, whenever there everything seems hopeless. There's not uh, God had already promised David that one of his seed would sit on the throne and rule forever. But they're in Babylon. They're the people of God are held captive, and it just seems like everything is the darkest. And the king has a dream about this image, and it's and Daniel comes in and explains that it's about all the nations of the world, and that there's this stone that was cut without hands that crushes the kingdoms of this world and grows and fills the whole earth. These are all prophecies about Jesus. And so God starts aligning all of the pieces of the puzzle. And I want to show you about four different ways why the world was ready for Jesus at that exact time that he came. Uh, First of all, we had uh, a great warrior uh, named Alexander the Great. He was a Greek, and he made it his mission to conquer the whole world. Uh, I believe it was Alexander the Great that it was rumored that once he uh, got to the Himalayan mountains, he sat down and cried because there was nothing left to conquer. Uh, He made it his job to spread Greek language and culture throughout the whole known world at that time. And so by the time that Jesus was born... There was a common language in the whole empire. People could trade with anyone else, and they, the language of commerce was Greek, so that there was this common language with wherever you were going to go, you could be understood by somebody somewhere. And, and as, we, as, it would, as it would happen, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so that was the perfect time for Jesus to come. Another thing that would took place was that, you know, we were all talking about Rome and how they were evil and brutal, but you know what they did is they, they got rid of all of the pirates in the Mediterranean Sea. They made it safe for people to travel, and they have this, this time of peace called the Pax Romana, and it's called the Roman peace. The gospel could not have spread as effectively as it did if there were all of these wars, if all of the nations had these strong boundaries. Uh, but because there were all of the, this one empire that pretty much conquered the whole world, it made it easy for the apostles to go from city to city and to preach the gospel and preach Jesus. The next thing that had happened that made it the perfect opportunity for Jesus to come was that the, the Romans built amazing roads. In fact, some of the roads that the, that the Romans built are still intact and are in workable condition 2,000 years later. And if you've ever ridden, driven down the old Centralia Road, you know that that is an accomplishment. Right? So... so any, all of the apostles and the prophets and the, and the missionaries could just travel on these roads and they could spread the gospel. But you know what? That, that's not even enough. There's another thing that happened that God had put in place that made it easy for the gospel to spread. And that was uh, that 
it's what we call the diaspora. And that was all of the, the people, uh, the Jews in, in Palestine had been spread out throughout the whole Roman Empire. They were forced to, to leave their home. And so they would go to these other cities and they would build synagogues. And these synagogues, they were, they were kind of like churches, but they weren't really. They were kind of like schools, but they weren't really. But it was a place for, for all of the Jews in that city to meet and to teach and to study um, the Old Testament. And whenever the apostles and the missionaries uh, in the early church, when they would go into a city, the first place they would go was to a synagogue. And they had a, already an audience of people that understood the Old Testament, and they could go through the Old Testament and say, look at all of these scriptures. All of these scriptures point to Jesus. So whenever Mary is feeling down and she thinks this couldn't be the worst, it couldn't be a worse time for this baby to be born, it was the perfect time. It was the perfect time for Jesus to come the first time. And Paul says it was the, the fullness of time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. But you know what? God's still at work. He's still at work at the world right now. And, and there's, I want to tell you about this incident that happened uh, when Jesus was talking to his disciples. And they're, they're, uh, the disciples are looking at the, the temple and they're telling them how amazing the temple is. And they said, look at how beautiful it is, the stones. And Jesus is not really all that impressed. And he says, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be a time when there's going to be no temple. And this building's going to be cast down. And there's not even going to be one stone left upon another. And the disciples were shocked. And they said, Jesus, tell us, when are these things going to take place? And what is going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And uh, so Jesus tells them about these things that are going to happen. He says, first, there are going to be a lot of people coming in my name saying that I am Christ. Don't listen to them. Have there been false prophets? Do you guys, have you heard about false prophets that have come and claiming to be Jesus? I have. Well, that's a sign. Uh, the world's changing. Uh, he says, okay, then there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Have we heard about that? Yep. I, every time we listen to the news, they're talking about the war in Ukraine. They're worried about it spreading further. There's wars, there's rumors of wars. All of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and diverse places. We heard about all that. All of these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they're going to deliver you up to be afflicted, and they'll kill you and be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. And false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But unto them that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. You know, there are, uh, I, I have the privilege of working in at headquarters. And we have uh, this classification of, of nations that we call access challenged nations where we, we can't legally send missionaries in there. Now, we have some there, but they're there as teachers or they're there as, um, under some other professional designation working other kinds of jobs. But what they're really there for is they're building churches and they're spreading the gospel. But you know what? 
the next thing that Jesus said is, is, the, is, the, is the crux of the matter. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all of the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Did you know there's, there's not any other time in history where the technology was in place or the, the possibility of the gospel being preached everywhere could actually happen? Uh, if, if you have a church live stream, stream uh, and you're broadcasting it on the internet, people in Africa could hear the gospel preached. People in... Uh, I'm, now, I know that China has uh, some some restrictions and that the government represses what they can see on the internet, but there's still people in China that have what they call a VPN and they can still pick up on those broadcasts and the gospel of the kingdom, even as we speak right now, is being preached throughout the whole world. God is aligning all of the pieces and putting everything together for him to come again. Let's all stand. You know, God is God's not only interested in the big picture. He's, he's interested in you. He's interested in me. He's interested in what uh, is going on in our lives. And I want to tell you another story. And this was, uh, we were having small groups. I was meeting with a family. And you all know who it is, so I'm not even going to try to change the names. It's Martin Kelly Ellis. Kelly had been going to school uh, Mark had been working over the road truck driving, and uh, it was tight. And I had kids and trying to make ends meet. And so she'd been going to school. She got her degree, and she's been praying. Okay, God, now I need a job. I believe you're going to give me a job. And uh, she wasn't getting a job. And she kept praying. I was like, God, why, why, why aren't I getting a job? Why won't you? This is what you want me to do. You called me to do this. Well, she's, she's praying about this. She's offering up as a prayer request. And then Mark has a heart attack in Kansas City. And uh, she has to go be with Mark, and she has to bring him home, and she has to be there with Mark. And so then we meet uh, for home group a couple, year, a couple weeks later after everything had kind of settled and, and Mark was on the mend and we knew that he was going to make a full recovery. But instead of having a, you know, offering another prayer request, she's smiling, she's happy, and she says, you know what? God knew that was going to happen. And if I had gotten a job, I would have had to quit my job immediately and that would have looked really bad because now I have to stay home. But God knew and you know what, God, God sometimes doesn't hide the future from us just to be cruel, but sometimes we would not be able to handle it. Uh, we wouldn't be able to connect the pieces, but God is so amazing that he does everything right on time, even if we don't understand it. I want to give you the opportunity to come and pray. Uh, I don't know what you're going through, uh, but I know that God, nothing is a surprise to the Lord. The Lord knows. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, so much for Calvary, Lord. We're so thankful, Lord, for all that you've done. 
in this church, Lord. You've got great plans from this church. Lord, you've had many prophecies for this church, Lord, that there were going to be uh, baptisms one after another, that people would be lined up out, out the door just waiting to get baptized, that these altars would be full to overflowing, Lord. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you're going to fulfill those things, that you're going to do those things. Lord, and I believe that it's not an accident when things go wrong, but you know everything. You know the end from the beginning, and your timing is perfect, Lord. I believe that there's going to be a fullness of time for Calvary. I know that there's going to be a fullness of time for each and every individual, Lord, in this church. Lord, I pray that your work would be done in this church. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.